The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. From the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 35 to 42. The next day, again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Before we consider God's word, let's pray and ask that God's spirit would give us ears to hear. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we have just in the gospel reading heard that two of John's disciples, when they heard him declare, behold, the Lamb of God, looked and saw Jesus and followed him. And we are here this morning because we too are following your son. And yet he turned to them and asked them, what are you seeking? And you ask us this morning, what are we seeking? And I ask that you would give us eyes to behold your son as we consider your gospel. For we ask it in his name. Amen. So as we continue this morning in the gospel of John, we've come to a key moment in the narrative, a key moment in the story where there is a shift. There's a significant shift. Now, John has been very careful as he has introduced this gospel, and he begins by having us consider God himself, the triune God. And he begins by having us look and see things from the perspective of eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then he very quickly turns our attention from that eternal reality. And he says, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. He turns our attention to history. He turns our attention to the man John, John the Baptist. And we're told that John is the one who will bear witness about the light. He will bear witness about the word. And we read that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John begins in eternity. He begins with God himself, but then he immediately turns our attention to history. There's a man named John, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John came to bear witness, and that means we need to listen to what John says. We're waiting to hear. What is John going to say? He's the one who came to bear witness. 
And last week we considered that. We heard what John had to say. He declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he said, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me was before me. And John says, I testify that I saw the Spirit descend on him as a dove, and it remained on him. And then John says, the one who sent me, the Father, God, he told me that the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he it is who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away your sin. But he's also the one who gives the Spirit. He baptizes with the Spirit. This is really a summary of the saving work of Christ. In John's testimony, at the beginning of the gospel, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who gives the Holy Spirit. And then John says, I testify that this is the Son of God. Now I mentioned that our text today is is another important shift John's taken us from God himself, from eternity to history to John the Baptist. Both John the Gospel writer and John the Baptist have been pointing us to the Son, pointing us to Jesus. And two disciples of John, he points them to Jesus, and they follow him. And then Jesus turns and he looks, he sees them following him, and he says, What are you seeking? And this is a key moment, a key shift, because now it's Jesus himself who's center stage. John, the gospel writer, John the Baptist, have been pointing to him. Now he takes center stage. And he speaks for the first time. The word speaks. And that's what I want us to consider this morning, what the word says. And he says three things. He asks a question. He gives an invitation And then he makes a declaration. So first he asks a question. He says to the two that are following him, what are you seeking? It's a question that he asks each one of you this morning. Are you a follower of Jesus? He turns and he looks at you and he says, what are you seeking? And then they answer, Rabbi, we want to know where you're staying. And Jesus replies, come. And you will see. It's an invitation. Come, and you will see. Do you want to know Jesus? Jesus says to you, come, and you will see. And then finally, when Andrew, Simon's brother, brings Simon to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and he says, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. It's a declaration. He sees Simon He calls Simon. And so our Lord Jesus sees you, and he calls you. So first, the question that Jesus asks. He sees these two disciples following him. He turns, and he asks them a question. What are you seeking? Now, I suppose a a natural way of reading this would be Jesus is walking along. He senses there's two guys behind him. And he turns around and and asks, what are you seeking? What do you want? Why are you walking behind me? 
But we know that in the context of John's gospel, this is a much deeper question. This question has a much deeper significance. He's asking them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want? It's a question that he asked us this. He asked us the same question this morning. What are you seeking? And if you were to go out and ask people on the street, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? What do you want? I expect you'll get some, some typical answers. You know, I'm looking for financial security, financial independence. I'm looking for a stable job. I'm looking for a promotion for success in my career. I'm looking for a relationship. I'm looking for a spouse. I'm looking for meaning and significance. I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for love. I also expect that you'd probably get this response. I don't know. I don't know what I'm seeking. I don't know what I'm looking for. And I would say most of us here this morning, I hope most of us here this morning, are those who follow Jesus. We're like these two disciples. We're following Jesus. And he turns and he looks at you this morning and he asks you, what are you seeking? And kids, this is for you too. What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Why are you following Jesus? Are you following him because you, you want happiness? You want a sense of stability, security? Are you following him because you think this is a way of life that's going to be prosperous? I'll be successful. If I follow him, are you following him because you want him to relieve you of your sense of guilt, your regrets in life? Are you following him because you think in following him, I'm going to learn holiness, I'm going to learn righteousness, I'll find a certain spiritual identity? Are you following him because you, you hope that he will fix your problems? He's going to fix your relationships. Are you following him because you think, well, in following Jesus in in adopting the Christian religion. I'm going to find a group of people who validate my own personal opinions and truths. Or maybe you want Jesus simply to validate what you think is true, what you think is right. Hey, I think this is the case. I can find that in the Bible. Jesus agrees with me. I'm right. So it's a question that the gospel puts to us this morning. And Jesus looks at us and, he's, and he says, to you who are following him, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Why are you following? And the two disciples, they answer. Rabbi, they say, which means teacher. Where are you staying? We want to know where you're staying. Where do you dwell? Where do you abide? Now, we've been reading through the gospel. We know the answer to that question already. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We know where He dwells. No one has ever seen God but the only begotten Son who's in the side of the Father. That's where He dwells. We know the answer to this question. But that's not what they're asking. They want to know where are you staying? Where are you staying? You're visiting these parts where we are. Are you in a campsite somewhere? Are you staying in, a, in, a, in an inn? 
Do you have an apartment? You know, Airbnb? Where are we staying? We want to go and stay with you. But the reason they want to go and stay with him is because they want to know him. They want to know this Lamb of God that John the Baptist has just declared and borne witness to. Where are you staying? And really the question is, is an implied request. We want to come and stay with you. We want to be with you. Where, where are you staying? Can we come and stay with you? And we have Jesus' gracious response. His answer, come and you will see. Come, I'll show you where I'm staying. Come and you will see. And this is the second thing Jesus says. It's an invitation. Come and you will see. And we read in verse 39, So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now the implication here is it was late, and so they they stayed the night with Jesus. And we can imagine them staying up late, talking with him. Now Jesus' invitation was, come and you will see. Now did that simply mean, come, you can see my apartment. Come, you can see my campsite. No, of course not. That's not what it meant. What are you seeking? Why are you following me? Their desire, can we come and stay with you? Yes, come and you will see. Come, I'll show you what you're seeking. I'll show you what you're longing for. And notice that as they stay with him, initially they called him the rabbi. But when they come back, and when Andrew goes to his brother, he says, we have found the Messiah. They spent some time with Jesus, and now they know the rabbi is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one who Moses and the prophets promised The one whom Isaiah said would be clothed in righteousness, fitted with salvation. The one who would come and deliver us from our sins. The one who would come and judge and rule the world and set things right. We found him. He invited us, come and you will see. And that's what we saw. We discovered the Messiah. Now as we read through the Gospels, we'll see again and again, the disciples are those who stay with Jesus. They are those who are with Jesus. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we read that when Jesus called the disciples, the reason he called them is so that they may be with him, so that they would be with me. And as the disciples stayed with Jesus, as they spent time with Jesus, they came to know him more and more. They discovered who he was. They learned who he was. And the invitation that Jesus gives at the beginning here, come and you will see where I'm staying. We come to understand the full implication of that invitation. It's not just come and see my apartment. No, it's come and you will see my father's house. Remember what he says to his disciples at the Last Supper. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. That's what heaven is. It's where Jesus is. Where I am, you may be also. Come and see where I'm staying. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there's lots of room. I will come, I will take you there. Where I am, you will be. And then he says in his prayer, 
at the end of that evening, at the Last Supper, Father, I desire that they also, this is those who will believe in me, those who will come to me, it's you, it's me. I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. Come and you will see. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's the invitation. Come and you will see. So he asked us a question this morning. What are you seeking? Why are you following Jesus? What are you seeking? And our response is, we want, we want to be with you. We want to see where you're staying. And he says, come and you will see. And I can testify from my own life, the longer I have been with Jesus, the more I've seen. The more deeply I've come to know him, the more deeply I've come to love him. The better I know him. And the better I know him, the more I want to be with him. Those who stay with Jesus, they see more. And those who see more, they want to stay with him all the more. And here we see a very important distinction. And John, at the beginning of his gospel, wants to make this crystal clear. Because yes, John the Baptist can say, behold the Lamb of God. He can tell people about Jesus. And his disciples can say, okay, we're interested in this Lamb of God. We want to know about him. And they follow him. But when Jesus asks them the question, what are you seeking? It's a penetrating question. And they say, we just, we want to be with you. We want to know you. We don't want to just know about you. We don't want to just know John the Baptist's testimony about you. We want to know you. And what does Jesus say here? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in me. Don't just believe things about me. Don't just know of me. Believe in me. Know me. And the question he asked you today is, what are you seeking? And are you seeking him? Or do you just want to know things about him? Do you just believe things about him? Or do you believe in him? Do you know him? And there is a world, there is an eternal world of difference between the two. Do you just believe certain things about Jesus? Is that what your faith is? Do you just know of him? Or do you believe in him? Do you abide with him? Do you know him? Andrew could say, we have found the Messiah. Yes, Rabbi, we want to know where you're staying. But he stayed with them. And then he said, we have found the Messiah. And notice the first thing that he did. When he found the Messiah, he spent time with the Messiah. He came to know him. What's the first thing he did? He went and found his brother. And it says he brought him to Jesus. But the, the, the word there is, is a, an intense word. It means he took hold of Simon. He brought him to Jesus. Those who know Jesus, those who stay with Jesus, who are with him, cannot help but go and bring others to him. He can't help it. That's the first thing Andrew wants to do is go to his brother. We found the Messiah. I'm going to take you to him. Now here's the question for you this morning. Who's the first in your life? Who's the first one? For Andrew, it was Simon. 
Who is it in your life? Who's the first one that you want to go and bring to Jesus? Just think about that. You know, you know the person. Go and bring them to Jesus. Andrew was with the Lord and he couldn't help but then bring his brother Simon. Now, Simon wasn't seeking Jesus. He wasn't looking, after, looking for Jesus. But when Simon, or when Andrew brought him to Jesus, we read there Jesus looking at him. Again, this is an intensified form of the word to look. He studied him. He examined him. He looked intently at Peter. Peter wasn't looking for Jesus, but when Andrew brought him to Jesus, he found Jesus was looking for him, looking at him. He looked at him, and then he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And that's our, the, the last thing that Jesus says in this text. It's a declaration. You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Jesus sees him, and he calls him. And Jesus sees you, and he calls you. And his call on Simon is no different than his call to you. And it is an effective call. What I mean by that is Jesus says, you shall be Cephas. And by making that declaration, he made it so. You shall be called Cephas, and Simon became Peter. We just read the Gospels, we see how that came about. It was a slow and painful transformation. But by the, by the day of Pentecost, we see there's Cephas. Simon shall be called Cephas. But it happened because Jesus said so. And this is an important aspect of all the Gospels, and this is something we need to take note of and take note well right now, and that is the, the authority and the power of the word of Jesus. His word has authority, it has creative and redemptive power. Just think when you read through the Gospels, Jesus says to a cripple, get up and walk. He just says it. And the cripple gets up and walks. He says to the leper, be clean. And just by saying it, the leper is clean. He says to Lazarus, who is four days dead in the grave, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. He says to the crippled man who, uh, who was let down, through the roof by his friends. Your sins are forgiven. And that man's sins were forgiven. There is effective power. There is creative power. There is redemptive power in the word of Jesus and what he says. He is the same word that said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. And he says, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And as we read through this Gospel of John, we're going to hear Jesus introduce what he says with a refrain. He'll say, Amen, Amen, I say to you. It's usually translated in our Bibles, Truly, truly, I say to you. 
But it's amen, amen, I say to you. Now, amen is an Aramaic word. We, we say amen after we pray. But it's a word that, that means it's true. It's true. We agree. We affirm this. Let it be so. It's true. And in the first century, there were lots of Jewish teachers, and those teachers that were well-known and respected, when they taught, after they said something, those who were listening would say, Amen. We agree with what you've said. We testify that it's true. We affirm it. The teacher himself would never say amen. That was for those listening to affirm and agree with what he said after he'd said it. Nobody in the first century would ever speak the way Jesus spoke. Amen, amen, I say to you. He begins what he says by saying this. What I'm about to say to you is true. And it's effective and it has power and it's binding. And I'm not waiting for you after I say it to agree with me or to affirm it or to say, yes, that's true. It's true, it's binding. Amen, amen, I say to you. Now think of what the Lord Jesus has said to you. His word has creative, redemptive power. When he speaks, it happens. And as you're reading through the Gospels and you're hearing him speak, and as you read through God's word and you hear the word of God, what God says happens. What he said to you happens. Now, Peter did become Cephas. And towards the end of his life, he wrote two letters, First and Second Peter. These are the writings of the rock of Cephas. And in his first letter, chapter 2, he's speaking of us. He says, Christ is a living stone. You have come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And then he says, of us. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Christ is a living stone. You are like living stones. Yeah, this is Peter saying this. Yes, I'm the rock. But you too are living stones. Just as Christ is a living stone. The implication is, he is making you to be like himself. He's making you to be like Christ. That's the work of God's spirit. That's happening. And we are being built up into a spiritual house, a place of God's presence. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the only reason we can come to him in the first place. Because he took away our sin. He's the one who baptizes with the Spirit. He gives the Spirit so that we would dwell with him and that we would be like him. And as we know him and as we abide with him, it's not just that we come to see and see him and know him. We come to see ourselves. And we become like him. And the promise is, on the last day when he comes again, to take us to his father's house where we will be with him forever, we will be transformed, we'll be resurrected, we'll be glorified. 
And Jesus said to his father as he prayed at that last supper, let them see my glory, the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world, that they may know your love, the love with which you have loved me. And then John writes this in his letter, see what kind of love the father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. You are called a son of God, a daughter of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And I am looking forward to that day. And he has promised that he will come again. And he will. And we will see him. And we will be like him. But even now, we are children of God. And we are becoming like him. Because he's called us children. So Jesus asks, what are you seeking? And when we seek him, he says to us, come and you will see. Abide with me. You'll see more and more. And you'll become more and more like me. Until that day when he comes again. And we will be with him forever. And we will see him as he is. And he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Now until that day, he's given us the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I'm with you even now. Remember that you are children even now. Remember that I have said to you, your sins are forgiven. Remember that I promised eternal life. And I've said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, to take this cup, to receive this bread, it's communion, it's fellowship with Christ. And so every Sunday we come here and we come and we see. He invites us. And we stay with him at this table. So let's come to the Lord's table now, knowing that in this meal we proclaim his death until he comes. And when he comes... He will take us to his father's house, and we will be with him there forever. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.